Please rise for the reading of God's From Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, hear now God's word. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and and having done all, to stand. And thus far the reading of God's word, and all God's people said... We turn now to the last section of this epistle to the Ephesians. And here we read about putting on the whole armor of God and of fighting the devil. This is one of those many places where God reveals to us what we could not know on our own. What we could not see unless He shows us the truth. In H.G. Wells' book, The Time Machine, he writes, a poignant, writes about a poignant picture of, uh, and, and this scene. He says, And like the blots upon the landscape rose the cupolas above the ways of the underworld. I understood now what all the beauty of the under, upper world people covered. Very pleasant was their day. As pleasant as the day of the cattle in the field. Like the cattle, they knew of no enemies and provided against no needs, and their end was the same. Now, in case you didn't catch all that, what he's saying is, he says this picture here of humanity, the upper world, that's on top of the underworld, and they're oblivious to what's beneath them. Like cattle in a field. And their end is the same. So being unaware of the truth, being unaware of the devil, being unaware of the underworld and the spiritual realm doesn't make it not true. It just makes us oblivious. So without God's word, we cannot see or we cannot see clearly either the physical world that's around us or the spiritual realm that is around us. They are equally real, and thus it is essential that we are not only aware of their presence, but that we perceive and interpret them accurately and honestly. To fail here is fatal. We are often so self-absorbed that we think our own struggles are unique, and perhaps no one else understands or has similar kinds of struggles, we can't see that we are, in fact, engaged in something much bigger, that we're not alone in this, and that there are many others that are part of the battle, that are part of the war. We're in our own foxhole, but we often fail then to perceive the larger picture. Cyprian wrote in around 200, It is not uh, persecution alone that we ought to fear, not those forces that in open warfare rage, uh, range abroad to overthrow and defeat the servants of God. 
It's easy enough to be on one's guard when the danger is obvious. One can stir up one's courage for the fight when the enemy shows himself in his true colors. There is more need to fear and beware of the enemy when he creeps up secretly, when he beguiles us by a show of peace and steals forward by those hidden approaches which have earned him the name serpent. Those whom he has failed to keep in the blindness of their old pagan ways, he beguiles and leads them up a new road of illusion. He snatches away people from within the church herself. And while they think that coming close to the light, they have now done with the night of the world, he plunges them unexpectedly into darkness of another kind. They still call themselves Christians after abandoning the gospel of Christ and the observance of his moral law. Though walking in darkness, they still think they still enjoy the light. So deception, remember, is the key work of the devil. He's the father of lies. He is an angel of light. Worse than this, there are many Christians who speak of being in a struggle when in fact they are engaged in no real struggle at all. The world, the flesh, and the devil are kicking their backsides, to put it nicely, on a daily basis, and they are defenseless and offering no genuine resistance. Their so-called struggle is really surrender or defeat. The way I know this is that they are armorless. They're naked and exposed, and so there's no hope of victory. They want to fight the devil with a pop gun or a water pistol. Moreover, we too often act like there's no battle at all. But the scriptures reveal the truth, the reality of what is not seen on the surface. The invisible world is real, and it's just as, uh, just as your invisible struggles are real. N.T. Wright uh, observed that C.S. Lewis, in C.S. Lewis's famous uh, Screwtape Letters, he warned of equal and opposite dangers when thinking of the devil. He says, you can dismiss such a being as ludicrous, a cartoon character with horns and hooves, a tail and all of that, or you can take an unhealthy interest in all things diabolical. And so Lewis wrote this in the preface to Screwtape Letters. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased, that is the devils, they are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. In the early chapters of this epistle to the Ephesians, the apostle has labored to help these Christians and us to see what it is we have in Christ and who we are in Christ. He prayed, for example, in chapter 1, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe. It is essential 
that we recognize this exalted position that he's placed us in. He follows that with pleas for us to live in a manner worthy of that high calling. Because of who we are as children of God and based on the fact that we are no longer ignorant and that the truth is in Jesus, we no longer live like unbelievers. And he concluded in chapter 5, verse 8, For you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. This is followed with a very practical application of these truths to our various relationships with one another, wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters. And we come now to the Apostle's word, finally. He says that in light of everything that I have told you about yourselves and the kind of life you should be living There is one other vital matter that must be brought into the picture. All these things we're called to do, including the ones at your house, with your family, all of these will be met with another kind of opposition. You not only have to contend with your own flesh, you not only have to contend with other people, There's another whole level of spiritual warfare that's going on. The devil interrupted the loving communion between our first parents, and he has not let up since. As Martin Luther put it, but still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Now, if you don't realize this, and then take the appropriate steps to prepare, then don't be surprised when you are defeated. And so Paul issues a call to battle. And he says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Why is it so essential that we put on every piece of the armor of God? That you may, he says, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The word wiles means cunning arts, schemes, deceit, craft, trickery. And he goes on to describe the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. I think the implication here is only, because he's already dealt in previous chapters with dealing with the flesh and with physical things, but rather against or in addition against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now is this just hyperbole? Is this just Paul waxing eloquent for the sake of filling the pages of this letter? No, this is revealed truth. He says, in effect, when you are up against these powerful forces, you are going to need everything that God has provided for the battle. And he adds, Paul does, that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to stand. At the end of every day, 
we need to be left standing. Of course, we have our regular outward conflicts with the world, and Paul has been addressing many of these. Moreover, there is the enemy that's within the flesh, which is also we're doing battle. But there is another enemy, which is the devil and all of his allies. In verse 12, again, we, for we do not wrestle just against flesh and blood, but also these other powers. We need to grasp this distinction if we are going to have any hope of dealing with this, with this enemy. The spiritual war has been waged throughout the ages, and you and I are part of it. Now, these various enemies overlap, of course, and they work together, the flesh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil knows how to use those other things, to use temptation, to exploit our weaknesses and our desires, to destroy us with those things. And so, they become tools of the devil. Again, as the Screwtape letters provide many good examples of the methods that the devil uses. So we have this quote. I assume most of you know who you know, Screwtape is C.S. Lewis's character who's a demon, chief demon, writing to his nephew uh, who's, a, who's a junior demon, uh, Wormwood, and giving him advice on how to destroy Christians. He says, Never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on God's ground, or the enemy's ground. That's what he calls God the enemy. I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention. That is, it's God's invention and not ours. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced, that is, that God has produced, at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. Take the good things God's given you, the devil says, and let's use those for nefarious reasons. First, notice that this warfare, Paul says, involves wrestling. And so again, I ask you, are you truly engaged in this spiritual struggle? Are you really wrestling? Are you self-consciously resisting the devil so that he flees from you? And we're going to see as we unpack this package in the weeks to come, the particular ways in which that is done. Sometimes people have portrayed the Christian life as one of ease that never involves any sort of battle. If you can just think about it the right way, then all the struggles will cease. In this view, there's no need to wrestle with anything. In fact, if you're wrestling, that's an indication that you're not trusting God. But this passage says otherwise. Second, this is a warfare, warfare that we have to wage. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. So let me ask you, are you weak spiritually? Or are you strong? And what are you doing about that? Do you think the, battles, the battle will lessen or increase as you move through life? Do you think that your worst battles are over? Or might they still be ahead of you? 
Well, that will depend on your readiness. The assaults will not ease up if you're weak. And central to your preparedness is the church, because the church is here to equip you for service, for the fight. Paul emphasizes that you have to do something. You actually have to do several things that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all. Everything that you're called to do in order to stand. You can't just let go and let God. That was a popular phrase some years ago. And if you're just muddling through each day, then let me tell you this. Your story is not going to end well. You have to fight. And I fear that some of you may have given up and conceded the battle. Now, God has given you everything you need, but you cannot relax and kick back. The Bible is full of paradoxes and this kind of a balance. So God works and God works in us and we work. He calls and we answer and He provides and we partake. The call to follow Christ requires self-denial, taking up our cross, that symbol of death, dying to ourselves. And He has made me more than a conqueror and yet I must wage war. This is what we call sanctification and again, I'm fearful that many of us are not fully engaged. We don't get to just fight a battle here and there. This is an ongoing daily war. If we let off, let up, or if we leave off parts of our armor, then again, things are not going to go well. And the various battles that are seen, for example, in your marriage, with your children, at your work, What will happen is you will start to move away from spiritual victory and you will be in serious trouble. And all that will be left is retreat and surrender and hiding and you'll start to pull away and you'll be less engaged because you think that's safe. You'll be spiritually isolated. You know, you've seen those nature picture uh, films, right? There's the herd. And there on the edge of the herd is the, the wolf or the cheetah. What's he looking for? A straggler. A weak one. One that he can cut out of the herd. Get away from the group. Because if he can do that, it's an easy kill. It's an easy takedown. So when we pull away, when we separate ourselves, the vulnerability goes way, way up. The devil will take every inch you concede, and then he'll take a mile. And he will win today and tomorrow, but, what, but, that, but he won't stop after that. He wants the next generation as well. There's a lot at stake, and he is relentless, and he will fight you with all his malignant forces all the way to the end, all the way to your deathbed. Now, you can feel sorry for yourself, you can whine and complain, you can shake and tremble, or else you can be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. There is victory in Jesus. The Christian faith claims to be exclusive. It excludes every other religion and every other philosophy. It is the truth. 
Is that settled in your mind? If that's not settled, you're going to see because the sword, which is the word of God, is your only offensive weapon. If that's not settled, then you're in big trouble. Because Christianity needs no outside help. It is an all or nothing proposition. Most of you believe, but some of you are not quite sure, not 100%. And if the claims are true, then what it says about spiritual warfare are true. And so when this text speaks in such an urgent manner regarding the nature of the warfare and of what is necessary uh, for us to be prepared for it, we may not take it lightly or simply as some kind of literary metaphor. Something about reality is being revealed that can only be that cannot be known in any other way than for God to tell us. Those who deny the devil do so because they think they're being reasonable and realistic, but nothing could be further from the truth. We see all kinds of symptoms of spiritual evil all around us, and yet we ignore or deny the root cause. But it's the underlying disease that must be seen and addressed. What's wrong with the world? Does anyone understand the nature of the disease? The church is the only one with the ability to expose and diagnose the problem because it is the pillar and the ground of truth. And it's the only one with a remedy. But we have too often failed in both cases. We have been guilty of malpractice. We want to medicate the symptoms without addressing the fundamental spiritual cause of the disease. There is a conflict, and we're called to wrestle with it. Is this part of your philosophy of life? Is this the way you think about your life? Do you see the conflict? Are you engaged in standing against the wiles of the devil? Do you truly believe that you are wrestling against principalities and powers and against the rulers of this dark, darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places? Do you think that this explains it all? Ephesians 6, 10-13 is the God-breathed revelation of uh, of God to you regarding reality. The problem isn't just belief in the devil, but even more basic than that is your belief in the authority of the Bible. Your only offensive weapon, as I said, in this warfare is the sword, which is the word of God, and if you lay that down, you are already defeated. Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon said this, it is written, goes with that phrase, it is written, stand upon it. And if the devil were 50 devils in one, he could not overcome you. On the other hand, if you leave, it is written, Satan knows more about reasoning than you do. He is far older. He has studied mankind very thoroughly. And he knows all of our weak points. Therefore, the contest will be an unequal one. Do not argue with him, but wave in his face the banner of God's word. 
Satan cannot endure the infallible truth, for it is death to the falsehood of which he is the father. If you throw the devil out of your thinking, then you also may as well go ahead and throw sin out too. And redemption. Jesus and Paul believed in the devil. And so if you're going to believe them, then you too must take the devil seriously. What did Jesus do on the cross? Colossians 2.15 Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. What went on with Jesus in the wilderness was very real, and it was not unlike what you and I face. In your search for answers to your problems, in your quest for victory over those things that keep defeating you, in your efforts to overcome the things that continue to overwhelm you, what is missing? And I want to conclude today with an extended quote from Lloyd-Jones on this point. Beautifully stated. In conclusion, I assert once more that you simply cannot understand the history recorded in the Bible, the whole history of the world from the dawn of civilization until the present time. You cannot understand modern history and what is happening in the world today, the confusion, the amazing fact of the world as it is in spite of all the advance. Uh, we, have, we have heard so much about. Still less can you understand the future or have any hope with respect to it unless you have a clear understanding of what the Apostle teaches here about the devil and the principalities and the powers, the world rulers of this darkness, the wicked spirits in the heavenlies. You may say that this is depressing. Depressing? I find it the most comforting, cheering, optimistic teaching that is known to me. What is it to me, what is depressing to me is to be confronted by a situation that I don't understand. If I do not understand the situation, I feel lost. If, if, if I was never satisfied, he's a medical doctor, he said I was never satisfied with medicating symptoms. I knew the patient might feel a little better, but the question was, what is the matter with the man? And I was ill at ease until I knew. It is a great thing to know the trouble, to make a diagnosis, and the moment you have a correct diagnosis, you should feel better and happier because you know what you're dealing with. But, but thank God, this apostolic teaching does not stop merely with the delineation of the character of the problems. It does, it does that in a very realistic manner, but it then leads us on to the source of power and of victory. It gives us a view of history which makes us confident and assured. Though I am fighting against the devil and the principalities and the powers and wrestling against infernal hordes, I can be strong in the Lord. And in the power of his might, I can be clothed with the whole armor of God 
I can withstand, and having done all things, will stand and stand with confidence, knowing that in him and in the power of his might, I am safe, and that his final, ultimate victory is always assured. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are reminded that your word has told us that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children. And that we may do all the words of this law. You have pulled back the curtain to reveal the spiritual reality of our true spiritual warfare. We acknowledge that we often suffer defeat because we have failed to don the full armor that you have provided for us so that we might be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Help us, Lord, that we may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot, uh, who, who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Our starting place is with Jesus Christ. He is the one who has defeated all of his and our enemies. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God, it it means taking him at his word Believing and obeying. And as we follow him exclusively, he strengthens us, he equips us for the true battles of life. John MacArthur observed that Satan wants us to laugh at sin rather than mourn over it. And to rationalize it rather than confess it and bring it to the Lord for forgiveness. He seduces us. Uh, to become so used to sin in us and around us that it no longer bothers our conscience. And so as we come to the Lord's table today, may we do so with a clear view of what is at stake and a realistic view of what the battle and the warfare are all about. It's time for us to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, You are the faithful one, and today we bless your holy name and lift it up high with praise and adoration for you in your mercy condescended to us. You sent your Son. God became a man, and we have 
uh, that we might have an apostle and a high priest, a mediator, that we might be saved from our sins. We thank you today for your mighty works of providence and the holy inspired record of your redemptive work throughout history. No man has ever thwarted your purpose, nor will any man ever frustrate your plan. Nothing is impossible for you. Your word shall stand forever. Indeed, you have remembered your covenant, and we bow with grateful hearts. Send us forth, O Lord, with your blessing and with your strength. Help us to remember your covenant as well, that we might dwell forever in the house of the Lord. Bless this Lord's Day for your glory and our good, the feast, the rest, the joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Amen.